Coming up on this week's Golf Digest podcast, we have a chat with arguably the GOAT of women's golf, Annika Sorenstam, and talk about a bold new strategy by the European Tour. My God, my swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. Why do they even have water if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun! We're having fun! What is this, Costa? Mine's off the rack. I wish Tiger Woods was here to help me with this. We'll do it live! Welcome back to the Golf Digest podcast presented by TaylorMade. I'm Alex Myers. Today I'm joined by Daniel Rappaport, Keely Levins. Guys, how's it going? Uh, we got a lot to get to today. We've got a, an interview with Annika Sorenstam, as, as I just said, arguably the, the goat of women's golf. Uh, so we got that. That's exciting. But uh, a lot of other things happened as well. But first off, uh, just how are you guys doing? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm excited. You're for back golf. in California. I'm back in California. I've probably been one of the more mobile people. You, you have. Thing. Yeah. And, and you know, I just want to say it, it all made sense at the time. It sounds a little bit wild, but every move made sense at the time. Mm. Um, but good, just ready for ready for golf to get back. Um, you know, I think with everything that's been going on in the world right now, some some sports would be probably a good thing for everybody. Yeah, and, and Keely, obviously, this week was supposed to be the U.S. Women's Open. You would have been in Houston, I assume. Instead, you, you're, you're closing on a house, though, this week instead. So, I, good. Yeah. so good, good stuff. Big, Still big a very move. stressful week for me. Very so, stressful. Even though there's no U.S. More stressful than being at a major, uh, yeah. closing on a house. So <laughs> that going on. But of course, uh, with that in mind, we had the pleasure of talking with Annika Sorenstam, who has been named as an ambassador for the U.S. Women's Open for this year, which is the 75th anniversary. And again, fingers crossed, it is still going to happen. It's just going to happen in December now. Um, what I guess what overall is the latest? I mean, we, there wasn't much news coming out last week um, about anything. I know the, the LPGA is going to start up at the end of July. Uh, again, the U.S. Women's Open will be in December. But anything else that we should be aware of uh, right now? In the world of women's golf, um, yeah. there haven't been m many changes, which I think is a good thing um, because we were going a lot of weeks in a row of bad news, it felt like. You know, sure. it gets really tiring hearing about tournaments being canceled, and I know players are so ready to be competing. So everything is as where it was left off um, like two weeks ago. So right. end of July will be the first LPGA event. I know there's several LPGA players that are actually playing in Texas this week. The Texas Women's Open has probably the best field it's ever had with <laughs> yeah. Stacey Lewis, Jarena Piller, Brittany Lang, um, Maria Fossey. So it is cool to see players getting some opportunity to play because they haven't competed since February. Right. Well, uh, and again, speaking of the U.S. Women's Open, I saw uh, John Stregge for us had a great story today. It's the 10-year anniversary of Paula Creamer. That's so crazy. Oakland, which is wild because I was already working at Golf Digest. <laughs> How old <laughs> so are you? Even crazy old. And, and uh, so, you know, of course, uh, people remember that. And Annika Sorensen is a three-time U.S. Women's Open champ. Uh, again, we had the pleasure of talking to her about that, about her 59, about playing at Colonial, which ties in, obviously, where that's where the PGA Tour restart's going to be. And uh, Pickleball. Her new, her new uh, hobby, it seems. So it was yeah, fun, and fun you, talking to her. You, uh, you managed to brag about your like high school I did. gym yeah. class victory of pickleball. 
which was so bizarre to me. It's huge. At, our high, <laughs> at Pelham High School, pickleball is huge. One of the greatest female athletes of all time was yeah. humoring you as you were I talking. Know. She's very, she's very nice. I appreciate. She was very that. gracious. I'm sure she could kick my butt in pickleball too. It wouldn't. It yeah. Wouldn't and golf. Close. And golf. And and golf. Yeah. Just, just, just everything. The, um, all right. Anyway, please have a listen to our chat with ten-time major champion Annika Sorenstam. All right. I'm excited to welcome to the Golf Digest podcast for the first time, ten-time major champ Annika Sorenstam. Annika, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So, I know, let's just start with what have you been up to during these last couple months, I guess? What, what uh, any, any new hobbies you've been pursuing or anything like that? Well, we've been uh, hunkered down here in Orlando, Florida with the family. So, um, it's been, it's been uh, different. What can I say? Especially the, you know, the virtual learning with the children. We have a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old, so we've been working on that. Uh, but it's been nice to really spend a lot of quality time together and being home for a while. I'm so used to traveling. So we have, I think we have adjusted as well as you possibly can. And uh, it's been nice weather in Florida. So we've been outside quite a bit. We've been uh, playing different sports. We have picked up pickleball, actually. Which is I saw that. Yeah. yeah, which uh, is a lot of fun. But it's been, uh, it's been a little golf. It's been a lot of swimming and, and just uh, hanging out together, some cooking, watching movies, some playing cards and things that you really don't have a chance to do because there's always so much going on when either sports. So uh, we have um, just kind of supported each other and make the most out of it as much as we can. Sure. How's the, uh, I know you're a big cook. How's the cooking going? Yeah, we've been uh, including the kids a little bit, having them pick a, pick a dinner each night where they, they can cook something they enjoy. So, uh, nice. you know, I've always felt like, the dining or, you know, eating together is a, is a great way to, you know, for the family bonding. So, you know, breakfast is important to us. We sit and chat and now obviously lunch also and dinner. So sure. it's been, uh, it's been a lot of time in the kitchen, but oh, well, it's a, it's a hobby of mine. So I don't mind. What were some of the, uh, the best meals that your kids were able to whip up for you? Well, of course it was pizza for Will. So he wanted to do pizza. <laughs> so we got some pizza dough and they had to do it the, uh, the true Italian way when you put all the toppings on. Uh, and then Ava has been, you know, she loves different tacos and she makes a mean guacamole. Ooh. So it's been, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been kind of fun. I saw you were at uh, Top Golf recently as well from your Instagram. Are you, how competitive are you at Top Golf? And, uh, you know, does your, do all your <laughs> skills translate to that venue? Yeah, no, I, I think if you are competitive, you are competitive. It doesn't matter where, <laughs> Or it is, but yeah, of course, when we do the top golf, we have, you know, the different targets. It's just really a fun place to go for, for the kids and really for anybody. And we just wanted to support the local businesses here in Orlando. And, but of course, you're trying to do the safety measurement that you can. So there's a lot of sanitizing, there's a, you know, wearing a mask and mm -hmm. social distancing and so forth. But once you're standing on the mat there, you know, you just kind of focus on your target and and uh, I got a lot of questions. Do you bring your own clubs or do you use right, right. clubs there? I said, well, in normal days, I would bring mine. And even, you know, during these tough times, even a bigger reason to bring your own. I didn't want to put my hands on somebody else's club. So, right. um, so I, I really have no excuse when I'm a top golf. I better hit him well. <laughs> <laughs> How did you guys um, get into pickleball? I've heard of so many golfers getting into it. And it's such an interesting 
cross. It's not something that you'd immediately think, oh yeah, all golfers play pickleball. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, we have it at the club where we live here, Lake Nona. And, um, you know, it's one of the few things you can do and still have a little social distancing from each other. Uh, it's a combination of tennis and ping pong. I know that sounds funny, but you have a paddle and then you have a smaller court than a tennis court. It was really fun to play play uh, doubles. And so Mike and I have partnered up a few times in couples and then the kids even play. So uh, it's just, you can pick it up easily if you've played tennis before and, you know, the rules are a little different, but they do say it's the fastest growing sport in America and a lot of places in Europe. And I can see why it's, uh, it's quite addicting and we've been playing almost two hours a day and it's a great workout. So why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pickleball was huge in my high school. I, what, maybe my one of my proudest athletic achievements was uh, winning the doubles Olympics championship senior year high school pickleball. So that we, we had some good times. It's a great sport. Oh, wow. Good for you. No autographs here, but uh, okay. um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, obviously uh, during all this, this craziness, uh, you were supposed to get the presidential medal of freedom. Um, is that, uh, is that ceremony still something that's going to happen at, at a later point? Have you, has that, been discussed at all obviously that must I, be I hope so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can't I mean obviously there's some a lot more important things than that but um, you know we're just hoping that things get uh, you know that we can reopen America and people can get their lives back and you know get the economy going but I'm hoping that after that that there will be time for those type of things also so we'll see it's uh, it's certainly a very interesting time and who knows what the summer will bring. And then we have the, you know, an interesting fall. So I don't know if there's time to, because everybody, everybody's rescheduled their, their uh, events and so forth for the, for the fall. Right. It's going to be so crowded. So right. but yeah, I'm hoping so. And so when the time is right, we'll address it again. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of LPGA players who play out of Lake Nona. Have you been um, playing with anybody or just like kind of, I'm sure everyone's getting pretty stir crazy down there. Yeah, I've, I've seen quite a few of them here. I've seen, um, well, Lydia Ko, you know, she, she moved in here. I've seen her on the, I've seen her on the driving range. I've seen her on the golf course. I haven't played with her, but then I've also seen her playing tennis. She's taking tennis lessons. Oh, cool. I've seen her out here. And then uh, Anne Van Damme uh, from the Netherlands. Um, she, um, I played pickleball against her and her boyfriend, and then also we've been playing volleyball together. So I've seen her a little bit, you know, up close, but I haven't really played with any. Uh, I've been out with my parents and our kids. We do a Sunday scramble just to kind of keep it going with everybody. But no, but you're right. There's been a lot of activity here as far as players. So we'll see what uh, what's next. I'm, I'm, I know they're all ready to get back out there. So, you know, it's the last uh, few weeks of practice. Uh, sessions coming up how, how often you know not including these last couple months but how what's a typical amount of golf that you play and and how is your game these days yeah well my game is uh, a little rusty <laughs> uh, but you know we try to maybe once a week I would say but you know sometimes there's travel involved and then I do a clinic on the road or and then most likely wouldn't add something here at home so it's just very, very different. You know, when we do our foundation events, when I travel, I'm out at these tournaments for, you know, three, four days. So then it gets, uh, then I'm holding a club every day, but, and then it can go a few weeks. So 
I'm not really answering your question because it's so random, you know, but I don't, <laughs> right. it's not like I'm out there, you know, five days a week grinding by any means. It's just uh, casual nine holes. And, um, you know, I think I'm more of a, a caddy. I'm more of a peacemaker and a juggler when I'm on the course than focusing on my game. I got the kids running around and uh -huh. so it's a little different. What, now I, I understand uh, you're an ambassador now for the U S women's open. And, mm -hmm. and of course, that would have been an event that we would have been coming up uh, right about now. It's been pushed back to December, hopefully, fingers crossed. But what, what, uh, what does that entail for you and, and how special is that to be involved with, with that event, which you won three times? Yeah, well, of course, it's, it's very special. I mean, and this, this year, we're supposed to be the 75th anniversary mm. of the U.S. Women's Open. So um, I'm just glad right now it is, it is on the books in, in December in Houston. So... Uh, you know, I look back in my career and, and I've always felt like the US Open was, you know, the tournament that I just cherished the most because uh, I remember growing up playing uh, tennis and I wanted to win the US Open in tennis. I, I just felt like that was the biggest tournament you can win, you know, mm. as far as women's athletics. And then, so then it turned out to be golf. So, <laughs> um, which I, you know, I, I, I certainly take that. But that, you know, in 1995, when I played at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs, just kickstarted my career and uh, just, just the history. It's, you know, it's just so full of the stories throughout the years and, you know, the names on those trophies and the USJ. I just feel like, you know, it's some of those, uh, one of the foundations of golf and, and competitive golf. So it um, gives us a chance to all think about those memories and because now there are memories for us and right. not so much, you know, active and getting ready to play. Right. You, um, you mentioned your foundation that does so much great work for um, junior girls golf. And one of the, you know, people are always looking for something positive that's happening right now in this really difficult time. And one positive thing seems to be that people who've never played golf before are starting to pick up golf. And I was just wondering if that's something you've seen in Florida or if you like, you know, have some hopes that your foundation may even grow even more with more young women starting to play. Yeah, you're right. I mean, golf is, uh, again, it's been considered one of those sports where it's safe to play and, and being outside. And um, so, I'm, you know, for we have all known that golf is great for a lot of reasons. Now we can add those reasons to it. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a little bit of a, a surge in golf. And, but I think it will take time. You know, I follow uh, the NGF's uh, statistics quite a bit, and I think we'll see what that will say in a few months. But you know, I'm always very hopeful that young girls will pick up the game. You know, that's really where our focus is. And so uh, we, we have tried to do some of our initiatives virtually, kind of like what we're doing today, uh, where we have invited uh, girls from different parts of the country to be able to be part of a Q&A or even Instagram Live to do basic instructions, you know, putting or chipping, you know, some of the things that you maybe can do at home. So We've been trying to keep in touch with our young, our young fans and the next generation that we really, you know, care a lot about. So we have to see what the future will bring. And, and but, um, you know, it's interesting how there might be something really positive coming out of this for, for, for golf, if you know what I mean. So we'll see. But we are, unfortunately, we have canceled all our events for this year and um, we'll be coming back in 2021. It's just it just doesn't feel right at the moment. Um, 
to get these tournaments because we are global. You know, we have seven tournaments now and it's going to be hard to get them all in. So uh, we just want to focus making sure that everybody's safe and, and healthy before we kick back. Yeah, and obviously golf um, has taken a big – the lead kind of from sports in, in raising money. And we've seen these last couple weekends with – uh, the match and the tailor-made driving relief event. I wondered, what, what did you think about those two events and, and what they were able to accomplish? Well, I think it's fantastic. And again, it's another reason why golf is, is so different than many other sports. You know, we're just a leader in so many different ways. And I want to thank the, the participants for playing, you know, giving their time to play in these events. And, uh, you know, we watch them because we love sports and we love golf and and, uh, you know, there's not much else to do live on TV. So it was, it was fun. And I, I must say, I thought the match was, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the chatter, the, you know, the way they were um, interacting with each other was really fun. I mean, the weather just looked horrible, but you know, they hang in there. And I know I can't believe the amount of money that was raised. So good for them. And hopefully the money will go to to the right places and really be able to make a difference in these tough times. But yeah, it's again, that this is what makes golf stand out in so many ways and people being generous with their time and, and obviously all the people that's uh, generous with, you know, the financial support. You mentioned the chatter and I know you've had a, a really special relationship with Tiger through the years when you used to be uh, live near each other and, and <laughs> would share swing secret and stuff that you were working on. What, you know, how did that kind of come about? And, um, Obviously, you've you've played with him a bunch of times as well. You're used to kind of hearing that chatter from him. On uh, he is. Uh, I mean, he's a true competitor, but he likes to uh, <laughs> he likes to try to get in your you know in your head sometimes. And, <laughs> but you know, a great sportsman sportsmanship he has. So so it's fun to see. And it all started literally living just in Orlando, um, neighboring clubs, and being competitive, and and having the same agent with Mark Steinberg for for many years. And mm-hmm. And uh, then we started a little major competition or challenge, which he, when I stepped away, it was, it was all, all his. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it was fun to watch. I mean, it's just these two guys with, you know, Phil Mickelson, obviously, it was just a lot of fun to watch, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some talk about um, if, you know, potentially they were able to get mics on players when the tour resumes, and Phil was saying that, you know, might not be quite as interesting as a match. There wouldn't be as much ribbing. Um, but I was just wondering if that would have been something that you would have liked to do while you were playing and what were the, what kinds of things would people have heard if you'd been liked up? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think when the, in these times, you know, we have to be creative. We have to come up with ways to make golf exciting on TV and especially with the limitations that we're going to have as far as coverage. So I, I mean, I know that in the past that we had a few players mic'd up and some players really don't mind, you know, they just love to talk. And, you know, I think I'm one of those players that, you know, I'm quite, um, you know, I don't talk as much during competition. It's, it's a lot of, you know, concentration and focus and kind of discipline. So, uh, I mean, I think what we all as fans like to hear is, you know, the communication, you know, I don't even know if they're going to have caddies, but a lot of times this communication between the caddy and the player, you know, what, when they're talking about shots, I find that very interesting. Um, I don't know if players will talk, like like Phil said, to other players because you do kind of mind your own business. And if you don't have a caddy, then you got to focus on the yardage and all of a sudden you're doing things that, you know, you were maybe not doing before. So 
But I don't think it's a bad idea, but, you know, maybe just a few players here and there that are willing to start doing it and, and you know, get more comfortable with it. But it's also hard when you're in the heat of a competition, you want to make sure that you say the right things. And, um, you know, it's uh, sometimes in the heat, you know, you never know what comes out. <laughs> yeah. not for You know, not for bad reason. It's just you're very competitive. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm all for trying different things to, to make this time of, golf on TV, exciting and whatever we can do. You know, uh, the PJ tour is planning to restart at the Charles Schwab challenge at colonial. Obviously yeah. that's a place pretty special, uh, for you as well. You're, you're intertwined with that history, uh, playing there in 2003. When you think back to that, um, when you played in that event, what, what's the first thing that, that comes to mind when you, when you think back to that? Well, it was an incredible week. I mean, what can I say? You know, when I, uh, accepted or when I announced in January I was going to play a tournament on the PGA Tour I had four months so that whole journey was just incredible but when I think of the tournament week arriving you know I got there uh, a few days before just to kind of get comfortable and adjusting to everything but you know every day I we had rented a van so I sat in the back of a van actually on the floor of the van so nobody can see me and they dropped me off behind the clubhouse and I always walked through the kitchen to get to the locker room. So I never saw the front. I mm. never saw the main entrance at the Colonial. So, but I remember, you know, stepping out of the clubhouse, all these people, there was so many people and they had this, you know, the Annika button and the support was just amazing. So, you know, I have some wonderful memories. I mean, it starts from the practice rounds with Jesper Panovic and Sergio Garcia. And then we had the Pro-Am and then, you know, just the first start with, you know, announcing my name and just literally was, I was so nervous. I couldn't even keep, uh, you know, the, the ball on the tee to, you know, making my first birdie and on. So I have some amazing memories and, and uh, it's kind of cool that that tournament is going to be, well, my fingers are crossed. It will be the first tournament where they will start this year. Well, if, if you'd been mic'd up that week, would we have heard much from you or were you pretty? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, we, I remember walking from the putting green to the first tee and I was playing with uh, Aaron Barber and Dean Wilson and Aaron kind of walked with me to the first tee, he was down the steps and he, he put his arm around me and he said, let's do this together. Yeah. So I felt like we bonded the three of us during these, you know, 36 holes. We had a lot of conversation. Uh, the three of us, just how cool it was that we didn't expect this. Because those two guys, they were they were rookies. Mm. So they had never experienced anything like it. And I, ha I had neither, of course. So we, we talked a lot inside the ropes, the feeling of walking there and couldn't believe the size of the crowds and the noise and and all of that. So it was, you probably would have heard a lot of those things. We were cheering for each other. It was almost mm -hmm. like a team event because it's like, come on, you can do it. And, you know, <laughs> now it's your turn. And. So it was a very friendly uh, banter for sure. And uh, I think towards the end there on the 35th and the 36th holes, it was apparent that Aaron and I, we wouldn't make uh, the cut, but Dean was. So he kept saying, I'm going to miss you guys for next week, <laughs> tomorrow, making the cut and so forth. So yeah, it was very, very special. Have you ever played in any other event where you've had to be like snuck in through the kitchen to <laughs> get there? <laughs> No, I haven't. Um, that's that's why I keep telling everybody. You know, it was fun because uh, you know, being the only female in the in the ladies' locker room, I had a lot of space. Normally, oh, yeah. with 143 other players, so 
no, that was the first time and it was just, uh, you know, even just going to the driving range, I was, uh, you know, hiding on, on the golf cart to really take me there. So no, nothing like that. And, you know, I'm sure that that's what Tiger goes through every single week, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, a memorable week for sure. Looking back now, obviously, and it's been what, like 12 years since you retired, how, mm-hmm. how tough of a decision was that to walk away and, you know, you, you still obviously were playing great golf. So, you know, when you look back, how do you, how do you reevaluate that? Yeah. You know, I look back and I mean, 12 years, you know, it sounds like a long time, but then also there's some things that just seems very recent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of things have happened since then, you know, I got married and we have children and it's just a different lifestyle. Uh, but then again, you know, just thinking of those tournaments, we just talked about Colonial. Some things are so fresh, you know, talk right. about it's open, it's so fresh and shooting 59. I, I remember <laughs> that a lot. So, you know, I, you know, I, I think, you know, at the time it was certainly what I needed. You know, I'd lost my motivation. I wasn't excited to practice anymore. And, and winning tournaments wasn't really what, what I wanted to do anymore. I had interest in starting down a brand of businesses that I, I was uh, designing golf courses, a clothing line. Um, you know, the foundation was up and running. So there was a lot of other things on the side that I was really excited about. And I realized that that's, that was more important to me that that's really what I got excited about. So, you know, I, I, I haven't changed my mind on that. On the contrary, it's amazing. Just, I'm just glad I did it and, and stepped away at a, at a time where, it felt like I was doing it on my own terms and not feeling pressured or, or being hurt and had to leave uh, forced uh, by any means. So no, it's been, it's been a, a great run so far. And I, you know, I still have my foot in the game with all the different things I talk about, you know, I'm still involved in so many things that I, you know, I don't really miss the competition, even though I'm extremely competitive because it's, I'm so busy with, with our tournaments and doing this and doing that. And I still have my corporate partners with me. So I do a lot of, uh, you know, charity work and corporate outings with customers. And so if I didn't have that, then maybe I would, you know, would really feel like I would miss the game and I would miss being out there. But I see some of these players here and there and I've done some TV. So I'm, I'm still there. So it's not, it's just, I don't hit those shots and, and I don't feel like I need to hit those anymore to still, you know, wake up in the morning and, and be, you know, thrilled about the day. Right. What's the best shot you ever hit in your career? You- uh, I want to say it's a tee shot at Colonial. Okay. Uh, just under the circumstances and how I was feeling and right. kind of the build up And yeah, so that was a good shot. <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously we've seen so many low scores on the PJ Tour in particular, the 59s and 58s. You're still – Miss 59. What, what does that say about kind of that day? And, and I know you were playing with your sister that day and everything else. How, you know, you, you just have so many great uh, special moments. Where does that kind of rank in there? Oh, you're right. And I, I feel very lucky. I have uh, a lot of special moments and uh, to be able to play with my sister on that historical day too, just makes it even more special. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, talking about a long time ago, it just, uh, you know, 2001. So mm. Uh, but yeah, I know there's been a few 59 watches on the LPGA the last yeah. few years and uh, coming down the stretch. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, uh, you know, now it's almost like that barrier is still there, you know, <laughs> on the men's tour when, 
Mr. Uh, Al Geiberger broke the broke the barrier, and then people players kept doing it. So now it's I, I don't even know, but I'm sure it's uh, a dozen or so that have done it. So it's that barrier is not there as much as on the LPGA now. It's because it's been so long since I did it. So, but I'm sure it will. It won't. Uh, I'm sure it will be breaking or broken. I should say at some some point soon. All right. When you um, look at the LPGA schedule that's coming up, they're playing so many weeks in a row. I'm just <laughs> curious as to like how many weeks in a row would you want to play, and like how would you handle that schedule if you were playing right now? Yeah, no, it, it, well, that's the thing. It's interesting to see because, you know, normally the top players really don't play more than two or three, maybe four, because it's not just maybe what you see on TV on Saturday, Sunday. It's, you know, it's Fridays, it's Thursday, Pro-Am Wednesday, you know, and then you have practice rounds and you have media and you might have some sponsored dinner. So it, the weeks are really, really long. So that's why a lot of them don't play more than just a few in a row to be able to physically and mentally be ready so it'd be interesting when now when you you get them all in and in only maybe a five month period so but uh i think the key here is to make sure that these young players really pace themselves you know a lot of play could you know could be physically exhausting and you know there might be some injuries if you don't take care of yourself and i mean everybody's literally standing in the starting blocks ready to go so it's which I understand. So it's going to be hard to really feel like, you know, taking the break when you need it. So the key will be, you know, you got to listen to your body when, you know, how much can you push and, and when should you just kind of you know, take your foot off the gas. So it'd be interesting to see. And I mean, we just look at the U S open, as we talked about it, we're going to be played in December, <laughs> you know, Easy. it's like, okay, well, it's, uh, you know, normally that's the, the time when players take off and, and have some rest and, so yeah, it's going to be very intense. There's going to be some traveling. So it's going to be, um, it's fun for us to watch, but for them, it could be quite grueling because there's a lot on stake in such a short period of time. You know, I know they're trying to combine uh, 2020 with 21. So it'd be interesting, but I'm not really sure yet how it works with all the, you know, money list and play of the year. And, you know, and then we have the Rolex Sonica major awards. So Things are still up in the air a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting to see it. I think people with the right endurance, you know, will do well. Uh, Players with just simple swings, swings you can repeat under pressure is going to do well. Um, It's just one of those things when you just so much at once. So it'll be a different type of season for sure. Yeah. We're talking about the LPGA. Jin Young Ko is obviously the current world number one, and she's had a great run. We've seen some other great, short runs from Yanni Sang or Inby Park. Who, who do you think of, of the current crop um, could kind of do a more sustained run like, like you obviously did and maybe get to that 10 major mark? Yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, you look at the players, uh, you know, through history that stayed there a longer period of time. And um, I think the key really is to just be able to have the motivation every year to step it up. You know, right. to, have the, to have the energy and to set new goals and to push yourself and, and want to c- continue to do it. Um, we really don't see it on the women's side as much. I, you know, a lot of them, when they turn 30, they, uh, they decide to move on and do other things because it's obviously a very intense uh, profession for, you know, year after year. And, and many of them are content and they like to get married and start a family. So 
you know, I really just starting out, I don't think that there's that many that really want to do it for that long. Uh, and if you think of it, a lot of these players are young too. I mean, the last few seasons, the average age of winning is, you know, something around 22 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, I joined the tour when my first, you know, I was 23 when I joined and my first tournament was, I was 24. So uh, I think, you know, the landscape is a little different. They have more tournaments around the world. So they, they play a lot more. They play 27 to 30 tournaments. So I, it, I don't think we're going to see necessarily a lot of players that want to do this for 10 to 15 years to get it up there. I mean, Christy Kerr is somebody who's still out there who right. has won a lot of, you know, she's done very well in majors and, you know, but I think, you know, She's unique, also unique as well as somebody like Julie Inkster that has family and kids and a career. So there's not many of those out there, unfortunately. But uh, so, yeah, I'm not really answering your question, but I think the key is, you know, it's um, players that have a just very simple um, golf game, just in the sense that you can repeat under pressure. There's, you know, you're not dependent on, on timing too much and, mm -hmm. Um, those are the players that are going to do well. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's tough to say, especially now in such a global game. Right. You know, you have to play in Asia in the spring, and then you have to play in Asia in the fall, and then you got Europe in between. There's a lot of travel there, so it, it takes a toll on a lot of people. Right. Well, thank you, Annika, for your time today. Obviously, staying motivated is the key. You've motivated me to pick up the pickleball racket again. There you gotta, go. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for your time today again. Uh, good luck with the reopening and everything else. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at the U.S. Women's Open this year. You got it. Thank you very much. And likewise to both of you, stay safe and healthy. And uh, we'll get through this. We're all strong enough. So we're going to be uh, hopefully brighter on the other side. All right. Thanks again to Annika Sorenstam for joining us. Uh, and again, like I mentioned, there's, it's crazy. Not much happened last week, but it seems like there's a lot to talk about. Uh, Dan, let's start first with... Uh, the fact that the John Deere Classic was canceled for this year on the PGA Tour. Of course, we've been, you know, we've had all this positive news lately about everything coming back. We had the two big charity events. We have the Charles Schwab uh, Challenge coming up at Colonial. But we did have a cancellation uh, with an uh, event just for this year. Um, you know, should we be worried that uh, other events might follow suit? I don't know if wordy is the right word, but I think concern. I mean, I think yeah. just because the PGA Tour has said, okay, it's, you know, it's time to start getting back to play, it doesn't mean that local and state governments are going to agree. Um, and at the end of the day, even if the PGA Tour wants an event to happen, if the governor of the state or the mayor, whatever you know, public official doesn't agree, then right. public official is going to win out in the end of the day. Right. Uh, and there was also some negative news with the, the McKenzie Tour being, their yes. whole season was canceled. So... Yep. Like you said, there is optimism. Colonials is happening. I think when, when that was announced, there were a lot of people who thought, you know, that's just a tentative thing. It's an it's a optimistic target. It's happening. And there's going to be right. a golf tournament next week unless something crazy happens. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's not like we're, we're back to normal um, by, by any stretch. It, it, it's not back to what it used to be. And I, feel, I really do feel for a lot of these McKenzie Tour guys who – don't have anywhere to play this week. Mm -hmm. um, th this is, this is going to continue. You know, even, even though we're, we're back and golf tournaments are going to start, it, it's not going to be like, okay, now everything's back to normal and we can go by the schedule. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are more changes down the road just based on different restrictions. Well, certainly not back to normal when you see Jimmy Walker share a photo today of the home 
test kit for COVID-19 that he received uh, that he's supposed to do, obviously, before, you know, and send in before he goes back. I mean, that, you know, these are, these are really unusual times, obviously. Uh, and, and also, that, that week that gets opened up now, there's a chance that we might see back-to-back tournaments at the same venue, either, right, either in Detroit, where the Rocket Mortgage Classic is the week before, either they host two in a row, or the Memorial might host two in a row, um, you know, two weeks in a row, a PGA Tour event at the same venue. That could be unusual. Unusual, but it, it makes sense. Like, yeah, if you're thinking about it from a, from a logistics standpoint, you, you, traveling from state to state brings a whole bunch of variables into play. You know, you, every, everyone has to travel. And I think people right. might forget, I think there's like 1,100 people who are going to be on the grounds, which, of course, compared to a normal PGA Tour event, is a fraction of, of what's normal. But 1,100 people is still 1,100 people. And that's 1,100 people who are all having interactions with different people. And especially when you're traveling, you know, a, a charter flight that's going to have the players and the caddies can only fit, what, you know, 200-something people. Um, right. So the vast majority of those people are going to be traveling by plane because these, these courses aren't next to each other. If you look at the right. schedule, it's like, you know, Texas, South Carolina, you go up to Connecticut, like you can't really drive between these places. You can, but it's not feasible. Um, so it does make sense, but it, it also, it opens up the possibility, you know, some guy gets hot and likes the course and, exactly. and, and yeah. next week and yeah. you go back to back, you know? So it, it, it's a new world for sure. And it's going to be, um, people, we're going to have to sort of throw away our, our standards or, or our expectations of what's normal. Um, yeah. this thing starts up again next week. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things that I'm, jealous of other sports that you know if you think about basketball baseball football presumably you could just get everyone in one area and just Mm -hmm. keep playing sounds like that's what they want to do yeah exactly it makes total sense because you don't want to worry about what's going to happen if i go into an airport and then the constant retesting the cost of the retesting every time a new variable is brought in Mm -hmm. golf is in a really difficult position yeah, and I, a- I agree with what you say. If somebody gets hot, I mean, if they get in a position where they have to play multiple events yeah. on course, it could start getting ridiculous. No, it's interesting because everyone's always said, you know, golf is the, is the best position sport from a social distance perspective. And, and that's mm-hmm. true. But that, that overlooks not just the travel involved, but also we have this expectation that there's a different venue every week. Yeah. And you're right. right. You know, with basketball, there's no, there's no worry about sort of muddying the integrity of the competition if you have everyone play on the same court. Because a basketball right. court is a basketball court. But you can't have, I mean, even two is going to draw some criticism. You can't have five or six or seven weeks in a row at the same golf course. It's just not, it's not good for the competition. It's not authentic. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. so it, it, it's very interesting that golf is, is well suited for this in one way. But in another way, there's also a lot of challenges with golf. Well, you mentioned the McKenzie Tour. And that, that made me think of something else. And just the, in general, how difficult it will be for guys to get out and, and play who want to play these tour pros. And in the news recently, we talked a lot a couple of weeks ago about VJ Singh and whether or not he should play in this corn Ferry tour event. As it became more clear last week, he probably wasn't even going to get into the field, which is, uh, which is, which is crazy. Exactly. A guy who's won three majors and, you know, fourth on the all time money list. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Ryan French, who's at Monday Q info on Twitter was kind of tracking this and you know he was kind of saying if vj singh wants to play in this corn Ferry tour event um he's gonna to have to monday qualify and it just it, it led me to think about how difficult it is going to be for guys to play not only in pj tour events but in corn Ferry tour events and then below that 
what is there anymore? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a guy who you know, I, I'm I'm friends with a couple guys from California who were they they got their they finished in the top ten in the McKenzie Tour mm-hmm. Order of Merit last year, so that gets them like conditional status or supposed to get them some level of starts on the Corn Ferry Tour. Right. So now everyone who all the Corn Ferry Tour players are basically going to play all the events in the beginning because they haven't had a chance to make money for a long time. They've got bills right. to pay, all that stuff. All the PGA Tour event, all the PGA Tour guys are going to play all those events. So the, the fringe PGA Tour guys are going to drop down to the Corn Ferry, which is right. the reason why VJ Singh get in. There's something like 10, guy, 10 guys with current PGA Tour cards who can't get into the Corn Ferry event next right. week. Right. So then, that, then they, then, so there's less spots in the Corn Ferry Tour. The guys who have conditional status aren't going to get starts because people aren't taking weeks off. And then, like you said, there's no option below that. Right. So if you're one of those guys who's kind of a fringe Corn Ferry guy, you're looking at the Outlaw Tour and the Cactus Tour for like another year because the McKenzie Tour isn't going to start up again until next spring or whenever it's warm enough in Canada to start playing golf again. So it's a really tough position for the, for the mini tour guys. They, they're really going to be struggling. And I, I have to wonder how many of them are going to just get a job, at least yeah. temporarily, because yeah. there's just not enough money to go around on the, on the Outlaw Tour and the Cactus Tour to sustain all these guys' careers. And it wasn't like before this year – it was easy to make oh, a living on any mini tour. Like this is just another hit against yeah. a group of players who really couldn't afford it. Yeah. And, it's a, and right. it makes sense, right? Like there's a huge incentive for the PGA tour to get back because there's a ton of money involved, but is it, with the McKenzie tour at a certain point, and it sounds crass to say, it's like kind of just right. worth it for them for all the headache, you know, it's just yeah. a brutal situation. And of course, I brought up VJ. Of course, I should mention he he did technically withdraw from this event, uh, but you know it doesn't seem like, at least from the outside, that it was because he's feeling bad about his spot or anything like that. It does seem like he was probably not going to make it in in any way. But we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He did withdraw before it happened, um, I guess. Uh, you, you know, we're talking about getting into spots, and and again, going back to Monday qualifiers. Uh, the PGA Tour Monday qualifiers going forward are only going to have two spots available, down from four. The Corn Ferry Tour ones will still have eight spots. So it's going to create a really interesting scenario where guys who are on the fringe who aren't in either event might actually try to Monday qualify for Corn Ferry events because you you actually have a better chance. Yeah, uh, we got, we got, it's like some game theory involved. You got to do some exactly. expected payout and expected probability right. and that stuff. Right. It's, it's a mess. And the, yeah, I wouldn't want to, I mean, playing in a Monday qualifier is already so stressful. Playing for two spots. I mean, you bogey the first hole and you're like, holy crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Super yeah, it's, situation. Yeah. And, and these fields are usually, um, of the final Monday qualifiers are usually about 75, 80 guys. They're probably going to be even more than that. And yeah, for two spots. And you, you know, you have like the local guy who, has the course record at play? You know, it, it's not like you're you're anybody in these fields can can make a run on one any round. given. Day. It's one round. One yeah, round. Get hot. They're all good. Players. Yeah, I mean, Dan, you could get hot. You never I, know. I, I'm not shooting 63 anytime soon. <laughs> I got I to play my absolute butt off to shoot anything. That is what it's going to take. I'm I'm not exactly uh I'm not exactly Monday qualifier ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, on a positive note, we've done. We've got some negative going. We got some positives. Uh, and it, it will help players, at least going forward, get into events. Uh, PGA Tour University is a new program. It had been talked about for a couple months, but it became official today. Um, and it's going to s- establish a system where the top five 
college golfers. Now, again, you have to be either a fourth or fifth year player. So you can't be an undergrad. But the top five guys, um, when they graduate, will immediately have status on the Corn Ferry Tour for the rest of the season. They'll probably get to play about nine or so events. Again, this is a normal schedule we're going under here, not, not this year. And that'll allow them the opportunity to play their way into either the top 75, which gets them into um, the, you know, the Corn Ferry uh, Q School, the final series, or uh, in the top 25, you get your PJ Tour card. So uh, I guess I'll ask both of you guys, just, you know, do we like this approach? It kind of, it kind of seems to encourage uh, golfers to stay through the year and, you know, graduate and all that, and then still have a chance. Um, do we like this? I think the answer is yes, we like this. I don't, I don't think it's, it's not that big is the one thing I'll say. Like, I think it's not going to incentivize someone like Matt Wolf to stay in school for two extra years. Right. Uh, because if you really are that good, if you're like that big of a phenom, then you're going to get PG, you're going to get sponsors invites into PGA tour events. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's good. I mean, I think there needs, there's, there's long been a disconnect between college golf and, and professional golf, which I think needs to, needs to end in it. And, and this will, um, put more attention on college golf because you're going to be like, oh, who are the guys who are going to get this status? And mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a good reward. And I think it's probably sort of just the first step to what I would assume would be a, a larger collaboration between, I don't know if there's a draft system like there is in, you know, baseball, basketball, and football, but I do think we need a, a, a tighter connect between college golf and professional golf if we are going to add, a, you know, more attention onto, onto college golf. I think a good way to do that is to sort of bridge the gap. Yeah, definitely. That's that's what I really liked about it too. I I agree that this this doesn't feel like the final product. It feels like the first step. And I think that, you know, the LPGA tour has done something similar in just allowing a deferral. So if you're in college and you go to Q school and you make it, you can wait until you finish your college year, you know, you get through NCAAs, you get your degree, and then you can turn pro. Mm -hmm. And I think that by the PGA Tour doing PGA Tour University and LPGA Tour doing deferral, it just shows that there is a bigger focus now on college golf and how to get college golfers into the tour, because that transition has been really difficult for a lot of players. Obviously, the Matt Wolfs of the world, I think when you're that good, right. it's going to work out for you. You don't need the extra help, but there's a whole tier of players below him that right. do need something to help, you know, get them into a position where they're able to play consistently. And I should say in this new system, it's not just the top five get to do that for the rest of the season on the corn ferry. Six through 15 will get uh, immediate access to a developmental tour below the corn ferry of their choice where they have a chance to play their way onto the corn ferry. And um, it also will get, you know, different levels where you get uh, to go to Q school finals, you get mm -hmm. to skip them, some of these things. So I, I agree. I, I think it's good. I think it is a good reward for, for some of the college players. I'm it, it, a little weird to me that it's only the, the seniors. I, I get they're trying to get people to stay the, the fourth year and the fifth year players, but um, to me, I feel like maybe a couple undergrads would be deserving of this because not everybody's got a huge name like Matthew Wolf where he can go out and get invited to these big events. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I might I might tweak that or add something there, but but no, it's a good, good start. It's, it's a good start. I think that's that's yeah. a takeaway. It's you know, it's you, you you can't really go from having no system like this to having, you know, giving the top twenty five players in college corner fairy status too. There has right, to be right. exactly. steps. So I think it's a good start.
Um, the Euro Tour finally announced that it will restart. It's going to have the same restart date as the LPGA, uh, July 22nd. It's going to be called the UK Swing. Six tournaments, no fans. Um, I think the biggest news from this, though, was that uh, the Tour's chief executive, Keith Pelly, announced that players are going to be mic'd up. Uh, at least the players in kind of the, the featured TV groups. And, you know, this is something that we've seen from time to time. Uh, of course, when we were just watching the match, those guys were, were mic'd up. But, um, and we, there are mics out on courses that pick up the player caddy conversations from time to time on, on broadcast. But this seems like it's going to be the first time where it's really implemented on a wide level. Um, again, I assume we're all fans of this as well. I, I certainly am. Um, although, as Phil Mickelson pointed out, you probably won't see quite as candid of the comments um, as you did during like a, you know, a match for charity. But again, I mean, guys, it seems like a good progressive step um, to try to get more fans into the game. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I am a little worried that people are going to go in with really high expectations <laughs> after watching the match. Right. I don't think tournament golf is going to sound anything like that. Um, it's going to be you know, a lot more technical and boring in some ways, you know, you're not going to hear guys ripping on each other. Um, <laughs> but I think that especially as we enter into this reality of no fans and, you know, in the future, fewer fans, there's so much like emphasis put on, you know, reaction. And in golf, if you don't have a crowd reaction, you need something else. And to have a player's reaction and even players' thoughts before they hit a shot, you know, it's going to help add another element. So you're not just relying on the guys in the booth to entertain you throughout the entire broadcast. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good thing, um, and I think Keeley is right in that it's going to be very technical because guys do talk inside the ropes on the PGA Tour, but I think there I, I don't know if there's a player council whatever it is that's communicating with the European Tour players, but I think uh, the European Tour rather. But I think they're going to say, like, you know, when we talk about our families or if we're talking about, you know, some story involving another player, we don't want you guys to air that. So I think I don't think it's they're going to go live very much to people. I think the model will probably be something like, you know, when a, when a football player is mic'd up during like a Monday night football game and then after a commercial break, they'll come back and show you like conversations they have. There's going to be some sort of screening process. It's not going to be like the match where all four guys are like on board. They know this is a big part of the presentation right it's going to be like there's going to be some sort of team that's sifting through all of the audio that they have and saying oh this is interesting this is very inoffensive like there's no way this player can have an issue with that because if they go too risque if they go you know if they're too aggressive with it then you can burn trust with the players and they're not going to want to do it so i think it's it's again it's going to be kind of cautious to begin with but yeah good steps the european tour needs you know they're in the business of doing cool stuff different stuff to try and bring attention and this is another one of those things so and it's really nice to have them back because I miss having golf on very early in the morning on the weekends. <laughs> you, you mentioned, I agree. Uh, you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned Monday Night Football there. And that, that's a good segue here because uh, we had the ESPN Pro Athlete All-Star Race, the first uh, race. It's a, a Peloton race. I did I've it. never done Peloton. Uh, I assume you guys probably have. I you, did the I did the challenge. I didn't do it live. Did? But I, yeah, I didn't oh, do it live, but I did the ride a couple of days ago. It was really hard. Really, really hard. And like, I'm a no, I wouldn't say I'm a novice. I'm like an average Pelotoner, maybe like three or four times a month, maybe a little bit more sometimes. But like this right. was expert level stuff. Okay. So what, like what, they keep talking about output. What was your output for oh. the, 
embarrassing. I don't remember what my output was, but I remember my rank at the time. There was like 4,300 people who had done the ride, and I was like mm-hmm. number 3,000. So now okay. I'm back. To- <laughs> All right. Not showing off. I thought I was pushing it. You know, I was like, wow, I'm doing really well here. But right. the, way, the way that Peloton works, I don't know if you've ever ridden it, but like there's, yeah. there's the pace that you're doing it, and there's the resistance, which is like how okay. hard it is to actually. And the res- they were at the highest resistance I had ever been at was like 60, which is I think like 60% of full. And the entire ride, everyone was cruising between 70 and 80. So I, I mean, I, I couldn't even get close to it. It was, it's really, the, the output numbers that like, yes, Rory and stuff, but like Booger McFarlane. Well, that's what the, I was going to bring up, Booger with McFarlane. The massive, with the massive th- thighs. Like yeah. I can't compete with Booger McFarlane for him. That's like a, 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 you know, a toothpick pushing that thing. So I was, I was drenched in sweat and it was very, very difficult. Okay. So that leads me to my next question though, because we've heard these gr- stories about Rory being this king of Peloton. He got dusted by... Of course, he got dusted by an Olympic swimmer, uh, but he got dusted by Booger McFarland. Like, that surprised me. But you're saying the way it's set up, maybe it's not that surprising? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, it's half, obviously, like aerobic, you know, heart Uh cardio stuff. But a lot of it is just how hard is it for you to push the pedal? And -hmm. Booger McFarland probably weighs, even now, like, you know, got to be at least 250, 260 pounds. Oh, yeah. So it's a lot easier for him to push that pedal on this. You know, it's it's a lot less tiring. So it does make sense. But yeah, I mean, it's another reminder that like golf fit and like, you know, real fit maybe aren't always the same. It's like when Brooke, when everyone was freaking out that Brooks Kepka is like so ripped. And then we look <laughs> at it and he's like, you know, six feet, 200 pounds. And we're like, right. he's got a long way to go. But right. at the same time, I was, I was impressed with the golfers as a whole. Morgan Pressel, especially finishing yes. on the podium. And with all the Peloton talk that's been going on on the PGA Tour, I, I feel like Morgan really flew under the radar. Yeah. And when I saw she was in the ride, I was like, oh, I didn't even know she was into Peloton. This is cool. Let's check it out. And then she's on the podium. I yeah, thought that was right. amazing. Yeah, Morgan Pressel did great. Um, Rory finished fourth out oh. of the eight guys. But Booger McFarland, again, uh, finished third. Um, an Olympic swimmer was first. Uh, Gordon Hayward from the NBA was second. And then there were two other golfers and this surprised me as well bubba uh, justin thomas finished dead last of the eight guys bubba finished sixth he finished comfortably ahead of justin thomas i'm sure bubba has been talking some trash to jt but again keely is someone who probably is a little more was that surprising to you or i mean is bubba totally yeah just the age difference you guys yeah, are underestimating just, the strength and size component i'm trying to tell you bubba okay all right all right i'm getting I don't know. I don't look at Bubba and say, okay, that's a biker's body. You know, <laughs> he's really tall and lanky. Like right. I, I get the football player body. Like, yeah, you're built to push a pedal. You are all thighs and butt. Like that's perfect for the bike. But Bubba, I wouldn't say that he was built to ride a bike. And then I also would, wouldn't guess that he has some cardiovascular ability. And JT is, you know, just a kind of younger, more normal-looking, thirty-ish-year-old dude. I would have picked him every time. I was I, shocked, literally yeah, shocked. I think people kind of underestimate how small JT is. Like, if you when you see him in person, he is you, walk, you yeah. walk by, you're like, "Wow, that's he's not very large." So I think again, right. it was one of those one of those just strength things. But uh, it's really interesting that Peloton, like golf, has like not owned the Peloton, but like it's become this this real thing in the in the golf world. Oh yeah. Right. The whole app too, not even just the bike, like LPGA players. When we were talking to the Corda sisters, 
mm-hmm. they were saying they were using it for outdoor runs and it's i mean it's such a i like i understand cult mentality after getting into peloton yeah, and i think we should just be up front here this podcast is not even sponsored by peloton <laughs> not sponsored by peloton <laughs> but, but, hey but, hey peloton i mean we're giving you some some free space here so if you want to i'm sure that would be all right we are open to it yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Booger McFarland said he wanted to prove golfers aren't athletes. I don't think he quite did that. That's a little, a little Rude. too far, Booger. But uh, good, good for him. Glad he could still, still pedal away. Um, I wanted to wrap up just with, with Tiger. We haven't talked about Tiger yet, which is amazing. Um, we had a couple cool things on our site, uh, both a video, two videos, Tiger critiquing swings of people, uh, including young kids, including some guy who had the, one of the fastest swings I've ever seen. And then he also gave us a glimpse into his home office. So Dan, I'll let you, you start first. What, what did you kind of enjoy the most as, as our tiger writer? I thought the video of him analyzing the swings was really an interesting insight into how he views his own swing. And I thought it was really funny. The first swing that he's shown is like a nine year old kid. Yeah. And you're kind of expecting him to be like, Oh, this is a great swing. Like, you know, nice to see you. He goes, yeah, I mean, the only thing is that, you know, his left hip kind of comes off yeah. the wall, which, which leads to, like, his right shoulder dipping <laughs> in the pocket. And, he, and he's like, yeah, and that's going to lead to a pretty big block or, like, a snap hook. Yeah. It's like, did you get that? Did you get all that, little kid? Like, are, are you ready right. to make swing changes now? But, no, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we, we don't really see – because Tiger doesn't really have a coach, I think people sometimes think maybe he's not, you know, looking at his swing or drawing lines or that maybe it's all feel. But, of course not. I mean, he's a swing nut. He's, he's, he's worked with – so many top instructors and he's learned so much from them that he absolutely knows what he needs to do in his swing. And he knows he's like a, he's a swing nut. And I think maybe we yeah. didn't, we didn't fully appreciate that until we saw this. I thought yeah, a little kid had like an incredible swing. And good enough. the first thing he says is, start, I mean, he, Tiger gave him, Tiger was somewhat complimentary, but, but yeah, you, you would think when you see a swing from a kid that little, that the first thing you would say is, Oh my God, that's amazing. But no, Tiger was very technical. Uh, what about you, Kiels? I thought I I loved it. I was yeah. so blown away by the speed and precision with which he was able to diagnose people. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I have to watch a swing several times and then go through several ideas until yeah. you can finally hone in on, oh, okay, that's the actual problem. He sees a swing and it's instantaneous. This is what you do. Here's a drill. Go. And I, it's just, it's very cool. It's, he's obviously a golf genius. And I just love that he's giving us the opportunity to see this inner working of his never mind. Do this. He would never do this stuff, you know, a couple of years ago. It's pretty yeah. incredible no, it's, how it's much true. more he is with everything, how much more willing he is to do these fun, cool ideas. It's pretty, it's pretty it's good. So to cool. see. It, it is really cool. And it, it would be cooler if I sent my video, my swing video in and gotten, because you're right, Keely. He, he, That's all I could think. He breaks it down really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Well, it was fun. Uh, I meant to shout out Annika, Annika before also for her uh, setting up that fun for Symmetra Tour players. That was very oh, yeah. cool. Uh, but thanks again to her for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our producer, Greg Gottfried, as always. Uh, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. And check back next week to see who our guest is. 